Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Welcome back for this lucky number seven installment of Diary of a Creative from Oz to NZ and beyond. As always, I'm Jose, the buffet slayer and devourer of deep fried food establishments, bringing you another scrumptious spread of cultural and creative cuisine. On my last outing, I had the pleasure of traversing the fantastic voyages of Hollywood journeyman screenwriter Teddy Tenenbaum. This week, we're cruising the boulevards of LA to go a couple of rounds with an individual who is no stranger to hustling, whether it's on the streets, page, or screen. If you've ever listened to a podcast interview with him or read a write-up on him, you'll quickly learn he's a man with intensity, passion, creativity, and brutal honesty. He's a creative force, both literally and physically. In a former life, he was a bouncer bodyguard to the rich and famous who's trained with military personnel. So his writing and fighting tenacity go hand in hand. His jab is the equal of his lightning wit. His dazzling footwork, a reflection of the relentless heart and hustle in his life. He bobs and weaves like the ebbs and flows of his story protagonists, avoiding his haters haymakers and putting them in his kill zone. Since his breakthrough into the industry with screenplay Man Down, visualized by Dito Montiel in 2015, starring Shia LaBeouf, Kate Mara, and Gary Oldman, he's gone on to write a reimagining of the French action thriller, A Beau Portant, or Point Blank, released by Netflix in 2019, starring Anthony Mackie, Marvel's Falcon, and Joe Grillo, Marvel's Punisher, and directed by the marvelous Joe Lynch as well as collaborating with War Party Films, a production company of director Joe Carnahan and actor Frank Grillo, tasked with penning a reimagining of the 2012 martial arts Brilliance the Raid by Gareth Evans. But his talents extend beyond the page and onto the screen, with a performance as Officer T. Farmer in Point Blank, and a blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo as a character named Loudmouth in the latest Joe Carnahan flick, Boss Level, recently released on Netflix. And when he's not beating up trolls on Twitter, to quote Joe Lynch, or writing face-melting action sequences for an upcoming collab with said Joe Lynch, you can find him and his business partner, Andrea Bucco, working on passion projects, the lights of Hit, Kick, Punch, Kill, and the performance starring Jeremy Piven, under their production company, Boxcar Pictures. So without further ado, let's get ready to rumble with Adam G. Simon. Hot fucking damn, man. <laughs> Dude, what? Are you kidding? Holy shit. That's the greatest fucking inch. Like, Dude, just be my hype man. Like, that's <laughs> it, bro. That's, that's so freaking incredible. Like, I am both aroused uh, and uh, like humbled and, and just like, wow, dude. Like, wow, man. It's kind of like that thing, like, I'm just like, well, if you put it that way, like, then yes. Like, <laughs> I feel really good. I'm glad. But, like, damn i definitely don't look at myself that way but thank you i loved it dude that's that's what it what a gift dude talk about writing you're excellent <laughs> thank you, you very sexy, much sexy sexy pen skills to match that Look. incredibly uh suave voice of yours I mean, well, as just, my yeah. as my hot flush subsides uh let me um <laughs> let me just kick things off i need to do some housekeeping before we get into this tete-a-tete so let's go if you enjoyed our last episode as much as Teddy Tenenbaum relishes crafting macabre screen stories for Hollywood, then savor this content and Diary of a Crowd F1 to catch us on Twitter or Diary of a Crowd Funded Film for Facebook. Please don't forget to subscribe and reshare the episodes to keep the groove rolling for this podcast and Heat's film Christmas as it moves into gear for 2022. Adam, 
now over to you because this is about you and your story. And just thank you for this opportunity, man. I'm, it's an absolute Dude, whatever, pleasure. Whenever you're the one that's giving me the opportunity, man. That was that was the most incredible. I'm literally going to copy like whatever that, that whole thing you said in the beginning, and I'm going to send it to anybody who's ever talked shit about me, which that <laughs> list is large. <laughs> But I'm going to send that to everybody and say, listen, not my words. These things are the words of somebody else, Oh, man. I, I'm incredibly honored, man. That was that was crazy. And by the way, you're probably the only person that would refer to me in the way that you referred to me. So I appreciate it. It was brilliant. Thank you, man. What I wanted to do, and if we could kick things Go off, I wanted to spool back the VHS on, you know, Adam G. Simmon. And go back to the first foray into um, acting. Mm. I'm talking about your Leona Valley elementary days. Oh, you son of a bitch. Where, you know, where you played the uh, titular king in the school play, King in the Kitchen. And I just wanted to know, is that where the so-called acting bug bit you? Damn, I can't believe you did that. Oh, that's so brutal. Yes. And um, the point in that character was I couldn't speak. Because it's all, it was an elementary school play and it was about a guy who, this king who makes uh, somebody, this guy makes him a porridge uh, because they all hated the king because he was an asshole. And uh, they give him this porridge and it turns out to be glue. So it seals his mouth shut. So the whole play is me going, mm-hmm, trying to communicate with people. And uh, most people that have come in contact since then, that's how they would prefer me to be. Uh, whether I'm in front of the camera or like in real life, they just want me to shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I didn't learn anything from that. But yeah, Leona Valley, also in Leona Valley, never talked about this. I kept begging my parents to try to, you know, put me in something, you know, artistic or get me an agent or something when I was a kid. Never happened. Uh, but they did throw me into a comedy class, which, you know, my family's very, very religious growing up. And unbeknownst to my mom, like, I'm 10 years old, man, and, or, or 11, I think, at the time. Right. And she drops me off at the community center, and I'm taking comedy classes where it's like stand-up <laughs> comedy. And I'm going up on stage, and and literally the guys that are going up before me are like these cigar smoking, just like heathens who, you know, were kicked out into Lancaster Palmdale. Like if you're doing stand-up comedy at a community center in the Mojave Desert, you're fucked. Like you're you've hit, there's no lower. Uh, and so I, I was 11. I didn't really know a lot about life. And so I'm sitting there and this guy gets up and he's like, so and proceeds to go into this comedy bit about vaginas and I, <laughs> it's like he's speaking a language that i don't even i don't even understand i'm like what and then they kick me up this guy's like adam get up there come on you just get up there try something so i get up and i'm like so uh you know boy scouts is uh awkward what, what is it with uh cub scout leaders right like uh kind of weird like what were your aspirations like it was so bad dude and and um when i finished it was just a blur i was just rambling shit that i thought was funny i got off the stage and this guy's smoking and, and the guy who's running it and he goes 
That wasn't funny. That wasn't funny at all. There wasn't anything funny in anything you said, but that's okay. Like just, just sit back and listen for a while. And that, it, it was just humiliating, but I went there for, for a few months and that was, yeah, that was kind of the start of, you know, writing and, and acting and all that stuff. That is insane that to be so young and fearless because that's what you have at that age, right? Most kids, <clears throat> I was anxiety ridden from like such a young age that <laughs> I would have been, I wouldn't have even approached the door. So kudos to you. Based on that, if you could go back, what would you say to, you know, little Adam in that moment? I don't know, man, right? Because that's a really, that's a really thoughtful question. I appreciate that because it's, uh, and you don't have to, you know, excuse me. I dental yeah, and I apologize for putting you on the spot. No, no, it's cool. I sound like a 12-year-old with a retainer. I'm like, <laughs> but there's a lot of things. This, is, I mean, here's the thing about these interviews is it can go, it can go light, like keep it on our feet, or I can go right into the heart of darkness and just be honest, which is usually what I do. So I think I would say to myself back then, I would say, I, I don't know if I would change a thing. I don't know if I'd say anything to myself. I mean, my life is my life and for better or for worse, I, you know, I'm pleased with where, where I am and what I'm doing and the people that I'm working with. But I may have told myself a couple things. I, I would have said, do not trust financiers or producers. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not going to make any sense now, but <laughs> not going to make any sense now. But here's the thing: all your heroes are are just uh, are, are the most evil people you can imagine. So just just know that, Adam. Um, there is no Superman. There is no Santa Claus. I'm, I might have had a hard conversation with myself, uh, and then uh, I probably would have said, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, I, th I think I probably would have tried to have an honest conversation with myself and lower kind of that thing that people do. I was talking to this guy, Jeremy Luke, he's a good friend of mine. He's a cool actor and, and just a great human being. And we were talking about how there's this celebrity kind of star worship thing that's lasted for decades and decades, which I think is coming to an end. I think it's coming to an abrupt halt. I mean, more right. people watch, uh, you know, reruns of uh, Growing Pains than watch the Oscars. Actually, mm -hmm. that's probably a bad comparison. <laughs> it more, is a bad comparison. <laughs> more, more people around the country are sitting around watching paint dry uh, than watch the Oscars. I think celebrity is dead. The, mm -hmm. only, the only thing that we still have, someone who kind of still has that is The Rock, and he's got it in droves. But everybody else is kind of like, we're sick of red carpets. I think movie going audiences, we're sick of awards, sick of red carpets, sick of these people just kind of walking around and pretending like they're common people when they're rocking $10,000 jeans. So yeah, I think tearing some of that down and managing some of those expectations of like, look, listen, kid, you're going to meet some of your heroes. And when you meet them, Get that starry-eyed doughiness off your face because it's it's not real. They're human beings and they all take painful shits at some point in time, just like you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's well said. And do you mind, because in our initial communications and also, you know, on Twitter, and this may not be 
the conversation because of the time constraints. But I know you've always been very open and candid. And you mentioned, you know, about darkness. And I was hoping to give you the platform as well, if you felt comfortable doing that. Sure. Because, you know, I feel like your life, as I've been able to piece it from what you've said very candidly on tons of podcasts and interviews, you know, and YouTube videos, that you've never let a fall define you. You've somebody who, despite, and here what I'm getting to is the greatest fall that you had, which led mm-hmm. to you being homeless. So I wanted to know if you want, or perhaps there, there has been, perhaps there's another incident. Really? I'm constantly in a state of falling. My my life is literally the last five minutes of the game. Like I'm just Sean Penn <laughs> falling, it, like in this one fucking five minute shot just from the top of this building. Like that's it. Like you know, my life is has been, and it's my life, so I'll own it. Yeah. But like, you know, my life is constantly getting kicked in the nuts and just laughing about it. You know. And it, it, I feel like I'm a member of the cast of Jackass. Like, you know, I get run over by a bull and I just sit there and laugh about it, go to the hospital, take some pain meds and get on down the road. Like that's, it's always been that way. And the only thing I can kind of piece together and make sense of it, right? We, look, man, like, we, we, we like to try to make sense of things. We like to know the why, right? But sometimes, sometimes, and there's a lot of things I can't explain about this world and life and maybe what happens when we die and all those things. But I get really weary of people who have answers, number one. And I also think there's a lot of inexplicable chaos that is the world we live in that for me to try to search for reasons why is like a gazelle turning to a lion that's clamped down on its leg and going of all the gazelles in the jungle why have you chosen me <laughs> you know why and the lion's like i'm a fucking lion you're a gazelle next like there's no reason but i'm going to eat you um but if my life can serve as uh a way to to make things a little easier and a little more palpable for the people who come after me, that's that's a great thing. So I, I try, you know, and I've had dark days of struggle with depression and, and PTSD and from the abuse I went through as a kid and, you know, but I try to laugh, like I try to laugh as much as possible and and that leads to have, having some sort of, uh, you know, a dark sense of humor, but, you know, that particular instance that you're talking about, yeah, that was a dark time, but, you know, going through the abuse that I went through as a kid was a dark time and, 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 uh, losing my best friend in, uh, tragically in a, in, in, in an avalanche was a, was a dark time. And, wow. You know, hearing about other abuses that went on in my family from my family members was a tough time. And, being separated from my kids was a tough time. And then mm. climbing, you know, writing man down and going, holy shit, I, I don't have to live on the street anymore. I can take this pen and write down a story and sell that story. And I don't have to be, you know, I made it here I am. And then every critic in the fucking world decided to just rip us apart. And then I started at square one. And then, you know, you meet people and, 
and you get, you know, taken advantage of and, and, you know, things, things happen. They don't always work out, but the people I gravitate to in life and the people that are in my, <laughs> my circle, that's like this big are, are people that just keep going. Like they just keep moving, man. And I mean, we're talking like resilient, resilient motherfuckers. Like I think of, uh, you know, my buddy Noah Danby, who's mm -hmm. my best friend in the world. You've spoken a lot about him in reference to him in a lot of interviews that you've done. Buddy, there's no, greater, there's no greater human. There really isn't. I mean, this, this fucking guy, I watched his life completely fall apart. And months later, my life fell completely apart. And, you know, he was the only voice. He was the only guy that was like, you know, there to help, you know, pick the pieces up and you know Carlos Aviles who's a, another great friend of mine uh Gustavo Alvarez another great friend of mine Zach Fernandez my blood cousin um Andrea Buco my business partner who came here you know from from Canada with nothing and lived out of her car I mean those those types of people that keep going and they they face adversity with a smile on their face like wow man like those are special uh individuals and they're special people that you gotta hold on to my brother my younger brother josh you know my my older sister darcy she's a cancer survivor and and uh you know these these people have faced tremendous adversity and they're just better for it man and and I love that, but yeah, I just, you know, I mean, that particular moment in my life was, uh, I was doing bodyguard work. I was traveling around the country, you know, traveling around the world and, uh, went through a divorce, went through a bankruptcy, ended up on the street. I was too prideful to ask anybody for help, um, couch surf for a while and then started you know polishing scripts and i was writing scripts and trying to sell them and uh doing anything that i could to to make money you know doing things that were legal and illegal you know whatever i could do to make a buck and um i, I don't think i'd change any of those things uh because Definitely. they all informed my stories and the, the person that you are today this yeah. moment having this conversation um, yeah, I feel uh, like I just rambled for like 12 minutes. What the fuck happened? You can't let me do that. <laughs> no, no look, uh, the only thing I, I'm going to go back just briefly, because, um, you know, despite, like you mentioned, despite the negative reviews and the mixed criticism for Man Down, that all of that becomes superfluous um, when I quote, and I'm going to quote this Instagram post about its screening at the Venice Film Festival that you wrote. And it was, I wrote Man Down so my children would know how much I love them. It was written to create empathy for men struggling with fatherhood while simultaneously demanding better care for our veterans. It was the only way to work out my demons of mental illness, poverty, and homelessness. So the only other question I have, because we're going to bring this back up, we'll come out of the darkness and into the light. So when Man Down was finally received with that really heartfelt and moving standing ovation by the 1500 in attendance for its screening at the 2015 Venice Film Festival, how did you feel? Ah oh, man, I bawled like a baby. Like you, you got me with that one. I've never had my words thrown thrown at me like, like that. That was rough. Like right now, that was rough uh, to hear that. It was just um, 
Shit, man. I hope you don't mind. I've planned this to to kind of, you know, get personal because that's what interests me as well as everything else. And we're going to get to, I promise you, we'll get to everything else. Oh, I love this, dude. I love this. This is is important. I think, you know, wow. Like, God, man, it's so funny because it's so beautiful how you, how you phrased it because like, like my hands are shaking now. It's weird. It was so, it was a really beautiful thing. It was, it was like, it was like some kind of crazy therapeutic therapy moment because you know man down is like my life wrapped in a in a fictional context yes um you know uh, the the shit dude oh you just fucked me up um like no 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 i'm i'm i want to keep going because this is uh sure apologies no it's just uh it like it shook me up in the sense that Look, there is a there's a scene with Gary Oldman and Shia LaBeouf, mm-hmm. and there's a it was a conversation that I had with a therapist, and talking about uh, you, you know I was physically and sexually abused as a as a kid, and as were other people in my family, and and uh, I remember speaking to the therapist, and the therapist is like, listen, I got. I have to, you know, I'm just asking these questions. Uh, You mentioned suicide. Do you really want to kill yourself? No, do you really want to kill yourself? And, you know, I said, yes. And she said, you know, well, what stops you? And I started talking about, you know, my my family. And, um, you know, I mean, Shia, Shia had been there. You know, he comes from a, a, a crazy, crazy background. And we bonded over that. Patrick Hibbler, who is a producer on the film, who I'm working with on Hit Kick Punch Kill now. Um, that guy's my brother. He's a tremendous human being. He's just, I mean, God, that guy's just been through the ringer. And there we were. John Burton is a brilliant human being. Um, we were all just kind of watching this thing and you know diddle montiel obviously you know the same thing the guys just hardcore and has got this background we all it was like this cathartic release it went like fuck the art right Mm -hmm. or like oh i made it or oh there's my film or whatever it was like fuck man like we 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 understood each other we understood the journey that we had been on and what we had been through and whenever I speak to veterans, particularly ones who, you know, suffer from PTSD and, you know, been, been through these, these kind of things or been in a catatonic state or, or you know, had flashbacks or, or dealt with any of, of these kinds of situ- situations or panic attacks, there's always this, this thing of like, I see you. Mm-hmm. And they see me and, you know, survivors of abuse, same thing. It's like somebody could walk in a room and instantly like I clock them. Like there's a, there's a connection. Like we, we speak some kind of unspoken language. It's uh, 
you know, and that's why I say, man, like I know the guys, uh, you know, he's run into a lot of trouble over the years and had a lot of um, d done some reprehensible things, some, you know, really terrible things. But at that point in my life, right before man down hit, I was at my lowest, mm. my lowest yeah. I've ever been. You know, I was standing on a pair of train tracks waiting for waiting for the train to come and I hadn't purchased the ticket. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, you know, I, like that's where I was. And Patrick Hibbler was there. You know, Steve McAvity was there. John Burton was there. Shia was there. Ditto was there. And, you know, even in the years after, up until now, we shoot each other text messages all the time. And the guy's been going to anger management and rehab and, and really trying to, you know, exercise these, these demons that he struggled mm -hmm. with. And, uh, you know, he saved my life, man. Like, you know, like somebody who does that, it's like, and I said this in another podcast, you know, it's like somebody dives into a pool, pulls you out, you're drowning, they do CPR on you, they get the water out of your lungs. Are you okay? Yeah, great. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm indebted to you. I have a life debt. And then that person goes off and is like, don't worry about it, man. We're, we're good. They leave. And then you find out the next day that they, you know, they, this is metaphorically speaking, but they, you know, beat up, beat their wife. Then mm. it's like, oh, fuck. It still doesn't take away from the fact that that guy saved me. Yes. We can have these nuanced conversations. We can have discussions about like, you know, but but it's like we're force fed this world of like fucking black and white that it's like, no, you're good or you're evil. You're either fucking Thanos or you're Captain America. Mm -hmm. And it's and I think that reality of the world where we live in, you know, what kind of is happening in our world, it's bled into our art that we got to have these save the cat no no diss to save the cat but yes, yes. Like, like set up you know rising action falling action payoff clear character arcs boom 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 this is what it is there's there's a need for movies like that there's a need for escapism point blanks escapism but like at the same time we got to look at the cracks in the concrete and i think there's so few of those things being done that we're not really analyzing the world that we live in so i know that was a bit of a tangent but it was such a special moment for me the fucking security guard the bodyguard yes. that was assigned to the cast this motherfucker you know guy didn't even you know he's like this big fucking russian dude he comes in he's just like this is a very good film and he's like you know like crying and we're like hugging each other and stuff and you know that that means more to me when i get an email from a veteran who says, and I've gotten two kinds of emails over the years. One is, fuck you, you liberal piece of shit. Like, how dare you fucking trash the VA and, mm. and you know, the system that's set up. You don't fucking know. And those are usually guys who haven't seen combat. But, and then the other side are people who are like, I get it. I went through it. Like I had to, you know, deal with the VA. I didn't get the help that I needed. You know, I was left, you know, I was hung out to dry and it's fucked. And, you know, it is. 
I mean, we've been in a state in our country of perpetual war for 15 fucking years, longer than that. And for what? Like, what are we what are we getting involved in these engagements for? Like, yeah, Saddam Hussein was a dictator. I can name you 20 that are just like him and worse. <laughs> you know, what? why did we go there? And if we're going there and have a clear purpose and we can get in, get out, right? And then give these people the the care that they need and they deserve then okay we're all right but they haven't they haven't done that you know um it's a it's a travesty that somebody can serve in the military come home and qualify for food stamps it's a fucking tragedy that i can now just go down the street because the homeless situation is so out of control in california but i can i can go down and i can just throw a rock and i'll hit somebody who served in the military who's wow. now living on the street that's a fucking problem and it should not be it absolutely should not be but we're we're told that it's like you know fox news or cnn it's donald trump or joe biden i reject all those narratives there's just no more nuanced conversations happening look and i want to just conclude this part of the conversation just to state your story itself especially with man down and everything you went through up until that point, it's a testament of human spirit, um, dogged fight in you to keep building and reconstructing, you know, no matter how hard the break or deep the fall. So whether you say this enough to yourself or not, I'm going to say like, you are an amazing and an inspirational individual, Adam. Oh, boy. And I'm grateful for this conversation with you. Due to file size upload restrictions on ACAST being limited to 150 MB, I've had to split this like a Kit Kat. So take a break, listeners. Top up your drinks, refill your snack bowls, then jump back onto your designated podcatcher and download part two of this fantastic interview with Adam G. Simon. Hot fucking damn, man! <laughs>